I don't know why we're in a habit of you doing it all the time, so. <laughs> it's the one thing. You want to try it? Uh, sure. Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, uh, a podcast where Andy has to, uh, has to do the intro. And Hello, and welcome to Roll for Topic, a podcast where we talk about topics related to running role-playing games. My name is Andy Rao. I almost identified this <laughs> Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a podcast in which we discuss topics related to running role-playing games. My name is Andy Rao. And I'm Chris Salzman. Good job, Andy. So, Chris, uh, yeah, what's, uh, what's going on with you these days? Yeah, um, so I am prepping for a short, I'm calling it like a, a one shot. It'll really, really end up being like a probably two to three session mini campaign. I'm going to go a little light on the details because I think a couple of the players listen to the podcast. So this is going to go live, you know, the morning of our first session. So <laughs> be very fresh in their minds if I say anything. But yeah, we're going to do something Strahd related, which should be super fun. Yeah, so I've been reading that book um, and it's it's great. Like I, I really like the... The thing that I'm doing for it is we're basically running the Ravenloft castle. And so just to clarify, uh, by the book, do you mean the Curse of Strahd, the recent Ravenloft campaign? Yes. Yeah. The recent one, not like not the old one, although I'm not even sure if they're that different. Yeah. Did you think of I'm just curious, did you think about digging up the old one? You know, uh, not really, mainly because it's just an access thing, right? So the library had a copy of the the new one. Nice. So I'm just getting getting that one. Yeah, so I was curious. I, I've been meaning to actually ask you this. Did you play the old module back in the day? I did, yes. One of our more successful, long-running, long kind of ongoing things in my high school game way back in the day was the second edition version of Ravenloft. Second edition took the idea of Ravenloft and expanded it from basically like a spooky one-shot and tried to make it a little bit more of a campaign setting that you could oh. run for a long time. Yeah, mm -hmm. that had some good and some bad things about it. So you've got, you you have fond memories of it. I have really fond memories, and I think I still have my old two E Ravenloft stuff. So one of the gimmicks of the the way they tried to make it into a setting is they imagined that the kind of world of Ravenloft is comprised of you know lots of little uh, independent kingdoms of evil. And mm -hmm. what I loved is a lot of those kingdoms were inspired directly by like literary horror. So there was oh. like the Frankenstein kingdom and the Isle, <laughs> Island of Dr. Moreau kingdom. And yeah. uh, not all of them were lifted straight out of classics, you know, but uh, most of them mm -hmm. had some sort of inspiration. But it was kind of funny because you weren't always supposed to know who like the ruler of the land was. Hmm. But if you had, if you were familiar with the story of Frankenstein, for example, it usually wasn't very hard to like, who's, who's the bad guy behind the scenes here uh, oh yeah. it's probably yeah probably dr frankenstein that's really great yeah the um this the forward to the curse of strad book that you know was put out recently they talk a little bit about sort of like the history of vampires and you know some of that lore and like it's it's super neat it, it reminded me of i took a class in college where we specifically read like romance literature and some some like those like early mm -hmm. early horror stories i guess you could say and that was the first time that i'd read frankenstein uh, by mary shelley it was in college and I just remember being like transfixed by it because it's like it's a really good story. It is. That is one of those classics that if you made it through like high school, college without 
have being assigned to read it and you've always assumed mm-hmm. it's like a tedious slog it's a great yeah. it's a fantastic no yeah not at all yeah i think the the hollywood adaptations really focus on sort of the the monster part of it yeah but yeah the book in fact like i mean just gets into all this depth about like what the monster is feeling and like it's just really cool yeah yeah so i'm i'm prepping for that which is really nice because it's been a while since i've prepped something one thing that i'm doing along with this is i found a uh, a lines and veils checklist so this is a like a kind of consent safety okay safety tool that someone's put together um so i found someone to put together a google form that just basically asked like every every possible thing okay. <laughs> you could you could want to everybody so i modified it a little bit and sent it out to the players um and i've already gotten one response back um and i'm not going to reveal anything yeah you know, about what they said because that's that's private information but i will say that i was a little surprised at the answers already um okay. and it made me realize that this is actually a super good thing to to put in front of your players um especially if there's stuff that you sort of just assume is going to be okay um okay or not okay like actually asking asking them uh, might reveal some stuff that you're, you're surprised by yeah so there's even like a few things on there that for me i'm just like absolutely not like we'd never never touch that and I think players might be okay with it too, right? So it's like there's there's kind of a give and take there as well. <laughs> nice. It sounds like you did it right, which is you took the idea, you kind of tailored it to your group and the game you were thinking about running and got some good info. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah, we'll try to put a, a link to that form. Uh, there's a form that someone put together that you can you can easily copy uh, and you know make it your own if you want to. I'll try to throw that in the show notes. I had a quick question about your Strahd game. And, you know, mm-hmm. if this is too spoilery, it's fine. We can pass on it. And we maybe we can make it a little bit more general. But so when you have something that is a very familiar trope, like a vampire in a mansion, um, mm-hmm. what is your kind of inclination? Do you like to lean into all of those tropes? So garlic and running water and stakes through the heart? Or when you're dealing with something that's really familiar, do you try and like find a different spin to surprise your players with? I don't think I'm clever enough to really come up with a new idea in vampire lore. So for me, I think it's going to be leaning into the tropes, which will be the most fun, fun part. Um, so I really adore the game Castlevania Symphony of the Night for the the original PlayStation, yeah. um, which, geez, it's probably like 25 years old at this point. But yeah, that game is uh, like a really, really fun game for me. And there's a bunch of them for the Game Boy Advance as well that are kind of in that same vein of like these yeah 2D side-scrolling Castlevania games. Um, but I really, I've always enjoyed the the Dracula depiction in, in that one. So I will most likely just sort of lift that <laughs> entirely. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I mean, it's, it's sort of like, I mean, the fun of this is not necessarily like, uh, for me, at least with the time constraints that we have, the fun is not going to be like discovering this big story. It's going to be more like we have to stop Dracula. Sorry, Strahd. So how did you take like, you know, a 300 page book like Strahd? And, you know, how did you find like a one shot? Uh, in that yeah so i will tell you very generally like very very generally right so if you're listening and you're going to be playing in this game with me i guess maybe like skip forward two minutes or something but yeah so there is a someone has actually put together a a one-shot variant of curse of strad it's called strad must die tonight i think is the the full title so you basically just run ravenloft you do a little bit of prep be- beforehand to deal from like the deck right to decide okay. kind of where stuff is yep and stuff and then you just you just start immediately with like you're on your way in to the castle and then it's just like from there you're more or less trying to set up um a confrontation so that's that is all, all i will say at this point okay yeah no, but that's yeah, neat. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. There's some fun like prop stuff too that I'm hoping to do. Yeah. So uh, assuming that this isn't a total disaster, we will probably talk more about it on this podcast. Yeah. Let's plan on it. Yeah. And is this an online game or in person? We're going to try to do it in person. Oh, so okay. that should be good. Fantastic. Yeah. 
yeah, everybody's vaccinated. A few of us will have boosters, I think, by then too. Um, yeah, so we're gonna do inside. We'll have a like you know the windows cracked and stuff, but it feels relatively safe yeah. with, the, with the group that I'm playing with. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's always a concern, right? It's like how do you how do you do this safely? So how many but, minutes into the game is it gonna be before you have to remove your fake vampire teeth? Oh yeah, I was actually I, I, that was something I was debating this morning. It's like, am I even gonna try to put them in? <laughs> Part of me thinks that it would be really fun to have them and like put them in every time I'm speaking as Strahd. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like that just seems cumbersome and probably kind of gross yeah. when it comes down to it. <laughs> yeah. um, but so you're going to be running a, a one shot too, a Halloween one shot as, as well. Can you tell me about that? Uh, by the time this episode airs, I will have run a spooky Western one shot for my mm. oldest kids high school RPG. Class. Oh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So they're doing like a uh, spooky one-shot Wednesday, and I don't know who else or how many other people will be running spooky one-shots, but I know mm-hmm. I'm one of them. So it's just something I've put together using Savage Worlds, um, mm-hmm. which I chose because Savage Worlds does a couple of things fast that other games do slow, mainly combat. I'm at that point where I, I'm really only going to have like two and a half hours maybe for the game, which is not very much time as we all know. And mm-hmm. so I've got a adventure put together, but it really has too much stuff in it. So I'm at that point between now and then I need to kind of decide what am I going to trim or prepare to cut out on the fly on the, you know, assuming that we mm. don't get to it. So that's always hard to do. Do you, do you have a method that you use for determining that or is it just sort of like whatever feels right? I would like the final experience to explore kind of the range of types of stuff you do in role-playing games. So Mm -hmm. I would like to have a cool, like mostly social role-playing encounter. I would like Mm -hmm. to have a good, uh, everybody's rolling the dice and rolling damage, like big fight scene. And I would like to have a scene where the players are using skills that aren't fighting uh, and aren't talking necessarily to get mm-hmm. through it so think like oh, a, I, mean, I feel like i could get at least two of those types of role-playing scene into the game i would feel like we played a nice like you know reasonably varied one shot how about you like when you have a one shot and you know do you think about the types of scenes you want to do yeah what i try to do is like whittle it down to locations or rooms that like i know that i want to hit on you know there's like a little bit of gray area in there as far as the transitions and stuff are concerned every time that you have a new location you're going to have to have some amount of setup there's going to be you know, players kind of investigating the room interacting with it and stuff and then them leaving the room right so like at a minimum even if there's really nothing in a room that's going to be five to 10 minutes, right? If not 15, 15 or more, right? So like, that's, that's sort of how I think about pacing. It's like, okay, so if we have two and a half hours, like you might be able to only hit on the saloon, maybe like a a shootout in the, in the street and then the creepy place that you're going to go to, right? You think about that's going to be like a half an hour, 45 minutes, and then whatever your remaining time is. Um, Yeah. So I, I tend to think about it like, yeah, in terms of, yeah, in terms of that. And then also maybe the encounters that are going to happen. So one of the practical things that I'm wrestling with right now, and I don't know if this will kind of be our topic of discussion here or if we just want to banter about it for a couple minutes and move on, but I am really trying to wrap my head around how am I going to teach people that have never played Savage Worlds the rules really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So Savage Worlds is like medium light crunch, if that if those terms make yeah. sense. Uh, you (laughs) know it's not uh, lasers and feelings but it also isn't it's not GURPS either so you know if we really we have like two-ish hours to play that's not much time and I don't have any reason to think that any of these kids will have any familiarity with Savage Worlds so Mm -hmm. are there any like really practical things 
that you have seen done or that you have done that told people what they need to know quickly? Yeah. Well, first, let's just plan on talking about this. I okay, think this sure. is this is a this is a good topic in itself, especially as we're going into the holidays and stuff. I think a lot of people are going to be doing like one you know one shot games and stuff. At least um, I know I will. Um, the the things that I've seen work really well are like player aids, right? So stuff that you might not do for a long campaign because you assume they're going to just you know they'll slowly pick it up mm-hmm. over time is like just really explicitly spelling out like in this situation you're going to roll this this die and we're going to look at the result, right? So the, the Halloween one shot I did last year, um, we used a lasers and feelings variant and I tried to write out like sort of exactly what was going to happen on each die roll. And that ended up being really helpful. And I also didn't provide enough detail in it as well. Like oh, I almost wish I had been like gone even more overboard with it, you know, cause you have, cause there's so much other stuff happening during a one shot that like, I mean, like you're going to be with high schoolers, like someone's going to fuse the restroom, like someone's going to be late, like, like all the, that sort of stuff's going to happen as well. So anything you can do to just make it like super simple for here's sort of your default action or actions mm-hmm. that you, you'll probably be taking quite a bit. Like just make sure that's super crystal clear, you know, color coded if possible. One question that I have though, like is like, what about the actual gameplay of Savage Worlds um, makes sense over something that they might be familiar with? So like I know like Savage Worlds like the most I know about it is you ran us through sort of like a character creation part of that right like so it's really fast to come up with characters and stuff is the actual gameplay of Savage Worlds is that lend itself well to a one shot better than say like a system that they already know like D and D so here's what Savage Worlds does differently that I think is the most significant. As far as like, do you succeed at an action or do you not? It's basically like D&D in every other game. You roll a couple of dice and you beat a number, you know. But one thing it does in combat is it, its combat system is not about whittling down uh, hit points or tracking hit points and stuff like that. In Savage Worlds, you either, I mean, there's some nuance to this that I'm not going to go into right now. But mm-hmm. when you're attacking something, basically you either kill it or you don't. And so Uh the task of combat is you want to, you need to get the damage you inflict high enough to like get over the kill it threshold, um, if that makes sense. So if you hit it and you don't manage to kill it, and I'm talking about just like regular minions, there's slightly different rules for like, you know, big boss fights, but so you, you hit it and if you hit it, but you don't do enough to kill it you put it into like a a shaken condition or like think of it as like a mild stun. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you can get your damage over a certain threshold, you can just instantly kill it and take it off of the table. And it works like its initial appeal was it did big battles really quickly because you could actually have like two dozen things on the battle mat at the same time and you don't have to track 20 different things, hit points and stuff like that. So that's what appealed to me because I know in a Western game, we need to have one big shootout scene. And I also kind of like the tension it adds. Like there's something that gets a little bit, I don't know, it's not very exciting to me about just like whittling something's hit points down. But I do Mm -hmm. kind of like the like, all right, what can we do? What bonuses can we add? What tricks can we do to so that when you hit, uh, we're likely to get way over that kill threshold? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, I mean, can players combine actions then? So if we like both attacked at the same time? So you can combine actions. You can do the usual shenanigans. You know, you can aim, you can Mm -hmm. sneak up, you can flank, that sort of thing. 
So that's what it does differently. In other respects, it's pretty much a typical RPG. Yeah, I wonder if the, like, for your specific circumstance, I wonder if writing out some of those actions would be helpful. So, like, you just said, you know, you can aim, you can, yeah, like, sneak, like, you can do some of those things. Like, maybe write down the, like, here, like, here are the moves, the moves that you'll most likely use, you know, like, make it clear they can do other stuff outside of that. But it's like, hey, you might have to do a quick draw. So it's just like you have quick draw written down. Yeah, I was thinking of trying to write as much as useful information as I can on individual people's character sheets, because they'll be picking from pre-gen characters, and I would, each pre-gen character has, you know, a couple of special abilities, so I want to make sure that those are called out on the character sheet, um, and some other things I usually do, like, you know, get a highlighter or something and mark the key skills or key items that your character has. So yeah, I wonder if I might just try to, to squeeze on the character sheet a little list of the actions that would be most appropriate for each particular character to be mm-hmm. thinking about doing based on yeah. what they're good at. Is there, like, what do you foresee? So you're going to sit down and play. Do they need to know anything about their character sheet before they can do something like order a drink at the bar, right? Like, do they, ha- do they have to know exhaustively right. what's going to happen mechanically before they can actually play the game? So that's a good question. It's one I was going to kind of toss over to you as well. I would kind of like to avoid like a 15 minute, like here's the character sheet and here's how we resolve Mm -hmm. actions and stuff. So the first scene that they're in, I think will work pretty well if they just describe what they want to do and I'll tell them what to roll. It's not super combat heavy. So mostly the most complicated thing they'll need to do is like, okay, find this skill on your sheet and roll that whatever die is listed there Mm -hmm. and tell me what you get. So I'm hoping at least for the first scene, unless you tell me I should approach this differently, I'm not going to start with like a, here's how the rules work. I'm just going to kind of organically, as they try to do stuff, I'll say, all right, well, you want to try to convince him to let the mm-hmm. hostage go? Well, that sounds like a, a persuade role. Uh, so look on your sheet yeah. and, and do that. Um, is that how you would handle it? Or do you find it helpful to give like a kind of, if I were like a veteran role player, I would actually find it useful to get an overview of like, hey, here's how the game works. Here's like what it Mm -hmm. thinks is important. Here's the resources you will be managing over the course of this one shot. You know, I would find that a little bit helpful. If I'm like a a newbie, maybe who hasn't played much else besides D&D, I don't know if I would really want to... Yeah, I think as is abundantly clear from listening to this podcast, like we are not normal, (laughs) normal game players. So like, yeah, what what we want is definitely not, I think, what a lot of people will want. I think your instinct is right to not dive into anything ahead of time. Like if you're going to say anything, it might just be like setting the scale of what's going to require a dice roll. So like you, you might say Mm. like, hey, you can walk across the room like that's no dice roll needed. But if you need to leap over a table, that's going to require a dice dice roll or maybe that it doesn't right like it's just like you can do sort of all these things up until this point and then then we need to get dice involved um at that point yeah i think the only thing i would caution is to make sure you interject that first mechanical thing before they get themselves in a situation where they wish they had known (laughs) known what the mechanics are right like yeah so if there's a hostage situation but they could have stopped it beforehand with a dice roll. Like then, then there, there's a there's a problem there. The other thing you might do is just is like not try to teach them the mechanics so much as just when they try something, tell them what they have to do. <laughs> at that point, yep. Like I think I've seen that approach work well. I think um, for 
yeah, for games, especially if someone's learning, like you don't, this is like the difference between a player saying like, I'm going to roll for a perception check versus them just saying like, well, I want to look at that. And then you say, okay, roll, roll D20 for your perception yep. check. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. actually. Yeah, and honestly, you know, outside a couple of combat situations, that's probably pretty doable. Here's the one thing that I feel like I would have, to, I will have to educate them about how to use. It has an economy, like a meta currency of like they're called bennies, but they're basically like action points or luck points that you spend, and they can do different things in different circumstances. So you can use them to reroll dice that you don't like. You can use them to shake off conditions that you don't like. So that's the one thing that, like, I think they might need or want to know up pretty up front, mm-hmm. like that this is a thing that lets you break. You don't know the rules of this game exactly, but the pile of currency you have in front of you will let you kind of break the game rules in various ways. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Can you give them a free one of those somehow? With things like that, where you you have sort of the decision to spend extra on something, it's useful to just sort of know, like, like how that feels. Right. So there's a way to have like a starting scenario where it's like, it's expected that you're going to spend this thing and then we can kind of see how the mechanics work. Right. Like Uh, give them a free one somehow. And it's like, then you yeah, have them fail and then they can use it and try it again. Yeah. That's a good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just have a situation where I try to engineer people using up their some points without worrying that they're going to. Yeah. I think that's good. I mean, and you could even just like tell them we're going to play out a very short one minute scenario in which I make you make you use this or have an have an NPC sort of do it do it very clearly in front of them like maybe they're playing poker and like you someone cheats right and then they get to yeah you get to spend yeah. the, the Benny to to yeah see if you can cover it or not yeah I'm making a lot of assumptions about how the game works but yeah, it's like, yeah, like no that. no I mean you're 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 about, I mean, the way you're imagining it working is pretty much mm-hmm. how it works with a few wrinkles. So. Yeah. There's one other thing that I have really grown to like about um, Savage Worlds, just while prepping this. I haven't played Savage Worlds in a really long time. It uses a deck of cards to determine initiative. Oh, interesting. That's just, it's just more fun than rolling for initiative. Um, I mean, it's a, it's yeah. a little slower, but it, I don't know. There's uh, just in playing around and testing it out it's just a lot more interesting to like wait to see what card mm. you get dealt than it is to just roll a d20 and say oh, i got a 12 yeah there is something about that do you you're gonna let them draw from the deck or are you you're gonna deal out i think i'm going to have one player be assigned to be the dealer okay. and that person will like kind of be responsible for dealing out each mm-hmm. round so that the time consuming part is you do it each round and something special happens if you pull a joker so you do you need to do it every round i don't i think it'd be more fun if one of the high schoolers was doing the cards yeah oh no that that's a super super fun thing i think for for a one shot that'll be like yeah just a delight to have have them drawing that especially if they draw the joker i I almost wonder if you could get like a handful of extra jokers to put in there depending on how things are going oh interesting yeah yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, you don't have to blow up your action economy <laughs> because because of that idea. But it's also <laughs> like, right. yeah, I mean, you know, like it's a one shot. Like it's it's kind of more fun if it swings, you know, back and forth a little bit more. So here's a here's a dumb question for you. So if I were to get one piece of paraphernalia for the dealer mm-hmm. uh, to like wear or have, what would it be that a high schooler would like think was kind of funny? Like if you're in a casino, does the dealer like wear a certain hat or like how how does it work? Yeah, so the, the high schooler finding it funny, I think, makes it a little bit harder, but I don't really care about what high schoolers think, or think is funny <laughs> funny or not, because yeah. they, they just need to, yeah, learn that yeah, it's okay. I take, I take that back, that I would find funny. Oh, uh, that you would find funny. Yeah. Uh, you need to get one of those vests. 
like an okay. oversized vest. I, th- I feel like they, yeah, um, dealers will often have those at, at casinos. Okay. At least in the, de- the depictions of casinos that I see, I have no idea what actually happens in, in real casinos <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, these days. I might uh, just, if I Google like uh, casino dealer, like is there, I, is there like an outfit that you usually wear? Yeah, I think so. And don't they have like visors or something? See, that's Someone who's listening to this podcast is like screaming at us right now. It's like it's clear what they would be <laughs> wearing in the early 1900s. Yeah, <laughs> whenever the Wild West was. Um, yeah, I feel like they, they also had yeah like green visors maybe. I think that's okay. something. And then like a vest. Again, don't do this just because I, I brought it up on the podcast. But it would be kind of fun to like tell one of the players, like tell the dealer player to like cheat every once in a while like give them an extra joker that they can slide up their sleeve <laughs> oh that's actually really fun yeah like yeah give them a little bit more more power although i mean i think getting to deal is going to give them enough power <laughs> yeah well i the way i have this pictured is you know these are high schoolers so they'll they'll make more of the dealer role than like an adult probably <laughs> <laughs> yes absolutely an adult would just be like i guess i gotta do this that's super fun. It sounds like you're thinking through everything appropriately. I mean, I, I'm just very curious what's going to happen in the first 20 minutes that will blow up your plan. But Oh, for sure. I realized that my game does kind of assume that people will be motivated to like be heroic figures, which mm-hmm. um, now that I think about every game I've ever run with like kids, with like junior hires, and mm-hmm. it has, uh, you can't assume can't assume that at all so i guess that (laughs) might be the first place it goes awry if they're like we're going to join the bank robbers instead of like try to stop them you know like that sort of thing so yeah Um, yeah which honestly you might want to start with with an expectation about like who the who the players are supposed to be yeah just to kind of head off some some initial shenanigans that's a good idea i it would be really funny to see what they do to go crazy but on the other hand we don't have like an hour and a half to like um go down a, a rabbit trail I guess. yeah yes yeah especially because it only takes one player to decide that they're going to be like the evil evil player and then it's just like yeah. well okay you've sort of ruined it for everybody you know if like everybody decides that they're going to join join up with the bandits like that's that's a different different story but if there's one person who peels off then yeah it's like well yeah. okay but we're also trying to tell this story <laughs> over here yeah. all right so one quick last question this is just like your opinion question so this is a it's like a horror western scenario mm-hmm. um so they will be bumping into some supernatural like bad guy stuff but for the most part all the pre-gens i have are just regular regular like townsfolk from that you would find in the old west mm-hmm. should i stick in a good guy with some sort of supernatural powers or should i should i have one of the pcs have some sort of special abilities or should i keep it them all straight like uh townsfolk oh that's a super good uh, super good question I think you keep them all like normal, yeah, normal people, unless you're going to give them all all powers of some sort. I don't want to do that for various reasons. Yeah, um, I think you. I keep... mean, it would really alter the tone of the game, and it would add, like, the powers are where you have to use the rules more, and I would kind of like to avoid that if possible. Yeah, maybe if you do want to like give them somewhat of a, an ability for like yeah supernatural something maybe it's more like an item that they can pick up at oh. some point that affects like everybody yeah like the holy water right like they, they need holy water to go into the final area yes that's actually a really good idea and i can i can think of some ways to do that mm-hmm. okay yeah because you could also use that to gate things a little bit too honestly it's like yeah you like they know they have to go to this haunted <laughs> haunted mansion at the edge of town or something but like they they learn that in order to even survive walking through the threshold they have to have holy water you know symbol of the cross or something yep. like that 
So I actually have one final question. I said that was the final one, but I have another one. So the other thing I have been, I have not yet decided on is whether I hand people pre-generated characters with a motive written down for like, here's why you're getting involved in this instead of running for cover like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Should I do that? Or should I ask a bunch of high schoolers, why is your character like stepping up to be the hero here? Is that, am I asking for trouble? If I uh, ask a bunch of kids to um, come up on the fly with like motives for being where they are. Are they theater kids? I think it's a mix, you know. I mean, they're the sort of kids that would be in the RPG club. Yeah. um... You know, it's not even a kid specific thing. I guess like if you're playing a one shot, is it more fun for you to have like the kind of a backstory and reason that I'm in the adventure written on the character sheet? Does it help you Mm -hmm. know how to play that character right off the bat? Or do you prefer the added kind of personal investment of having come up with something yourself on the fly? Um, my, I think that is, that's going to be highly player specific for me. I would, I would much rather just have it written down. It's like, you're right. Like if if I'm going to have the whole character sort of decided ahead of time for me anyway, I might as well also have the motive. Right. And like, ideally the, the pre-gen should be such that like, as they're picking them, it's pretty clear what the motive is you know yeah. as well i think so it's not even necessarily I think, like a line at the bottom that says like here's here's your motive it's more woven throughout and then maybe you can restate that at the end or you state it up top it's like hey you are you know you're the town's sheriff and you have like you know three people have died this past year like you want yeah you want to end this right now and then then there's the pre-gen i think you're right and i i think that's what i would prefer too and I, you know if some of the pre-gens are pretty obvious like you know you're the town sheriff you're the town journal muckraking journalist that's that that that's obvious mm-hmm. there's a few i i do hope that people choose a couple of the like you're you're just like a housewife who is in town to buy yeah. butter or something yeah. like that you know because it's fun to have those pcs in with the group next to the grizzled gunslingers uh, <laughs> yes. but, uh yeah. but i but even with the housewife i'm gonna make sure there's at least a uh, a hook that the player can use to like justify yeah. going going jumping in yeah, I always like uh, I like characters that have really mundane motivations in these like high high stress situations. It's like yeah, maybe yes. the the like the woman who's just trying to buy some flour or something. It's like oh sorry, like the vampire in the edge of town bought all the flour like last last <laughs> yes. week, and she's like, yeah, all right, I'm getting my gun. I gotta go get that. <laughs> like some something like that is really fun to mix in. I think with yeah with the the more high minded ideals of like stopping the vampire from killing everybody. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. And for one shots, especially, you know, it's that like idea that Dungeon Crawl Classics taps into that, like you're just a a regular, you're regular guys and gals from the village. You're not, you know, and that's part of what makes it kind of fun and funny to play that, Mm -hmm. uh, but you're a bunch of farmers like going into the vampire, (laughs) you know, not knights of the holy order, but yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you for helping me think through all that stuff, Chris. Oh, yeah. Um, I won't sure. uh, subject you to too much to do to any more one shot talk here today. But uh, <laughs> but this this is actually tangibly useful for me. So thanks for taking. Oh, cool. Yeah, no, it's good. It's uh, it makes me excited. I'm really anxious to get the, the recap on air of how it went. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I'm strangely nervous about this one. I don't know. I mean, partly it's because, you know, like I say, I haven't I haven't done Savage Worlds in like 15 years. Mm-hmm. So come, you know, coming to the latest version of Savage Worlds without having played it recently. And I like running games for kids, but these are, you know, mm-hmm. these are older kids than I usually run games for. And, you know, I won't know most of them. So it'll be fun. But, yeah. you know, there's a little bit of healthy anxiety. I hope it's healthy anxiety there. So Yeah, I think so. I mean, it sounds like, yeah, you're doing, you're doing a new thing for a new group of people. Like that's, 
it'd be odd if you didn't have some anxiety, I think, about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, this means that you care, but... Yep, it does. It means that I care. Well, just remember that as the session goes down in flames. Like... Be... Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, we should we should wrap it up. Um, yeah. So this was super good. I think the only thing that I also that I wanted to mention that I've been thinking about as we've been talking about this is I watched a uh, Midnight Mass recently. So this is a new new show on Netflix. Okay. It's like a horror mini series uh, of some sort. But I really enjoyed it. It is not for everybody. I don't think um, it's. There's a lot of long monologues about like religious suffering <laughs> and things of that nature. So if that sounds good to you at all um, i highly recommend it um but um, okay well let's yeah. uh let's call it an episode here so mm-hmm. uh, yeah any final thoughts or should we sign out yeah let's uh let's sign off um i guess if you are running a one shot for halloween we'd love to hear about it i think uh yeah strangely this has become like i think my favorite holiday for for running games um it's not something i would have thought <laughs> thought a couple yeah, years ago sure. but yeah it's it's been good yeah so yeah please let us know if you're running anything cool um that you want to want to share we are enthusiastic about that but yeah, I think that's about it. So I will, I'll sign off and say um, I've been Chris Salzman. I've been Andy Rao. And remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Bye.